Alright, so Psalm 41 is being passed out as we talk. And so we're going to pray while he continues to pass those out. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your kindness to us this week. Um, we still think about the rain and how you blessed us there. We are grateful for that, Lord. We, we're grateful, Lord, for your kindness to us in so many different ways. We pray that you would be with uh, Moose and Lisa and watch over them and their family at this time as they grieve uh, Barbara's death. And we pray that you would be their comfort. We pray for our friends in Minko at First Reformed Church as they have their congregational meeting today to... Uh, vote on a call for a new pastor where we pray that you would guide them in that and that you would help them that uh, your spirit and wisdom would prevail and uh, if this is the right guy that the call would come even unanimously Lord and we've asked you to be with us as we jump into Psalm 41 and guide us in Jesus name amen all right so let's do this. I'm calling Psalm 41 the finish line, and I'll explain why the title in a minute, but let's turn to Psalm 41, and there's a copy being passed out if you need that. Big print for all those sore eyes. Okay. Psalm 41, to the choir master, a Psalm of David, blessed is the one who considers the poor... In the day of trouble, the Lord, or Yahweh, delivers him. Yahweh protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. Yahweh sustains him on his sickbed, and in his illness you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Yahweh, be gracious to me, heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Yahweh, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout and triumph over me, but you will uphold, You have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. All right, that's Psalm 41. Anything you saw in there, maybe that connects it to previous psalms or patterns you see in it? Yeah, well, especially if he's the king at this point, then he's, it's not just his, his own personal vengeance. It's actually a, a sense of protection for the nation. Yeah. What else? Yeah, and you know that because earlier in the psalm he says, back in verse 4, for I have sinned against you. So the integrity is not a sinless integrity, right? Because he owns up to the fact that he is he's sin. And we'll talk about some more of that. Anybody else? Any others? 
there are some other connections. So one of them, it's in a very interesting one, it was actually, uh, I think it was Edward last week was talking about back at the end of verse 40, uh, but the Lord takes thought for me, and that particular Hebrew word shows up in a negative way in verse 7. You wouldn't see this in English, but it shows up in a negative way in verse 7. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine, they take thought for the worst for me. Right? Very interesting. It's the same word. So the Lord takes thought in good ways and the enemies take thought in bad ways. There you go. All right, well, let's jump in. And uh, there's a, if you need a copy of Psalm 41, there's some extra ones up here on this middle table. So I'm going to break it down this way. I'm calling it the finish line. I'll explain this in a minute. But I'm going to uh, break it down this way. Singled out, verses 1 through 3. Spoken against, 4 through 10. Stood by, verse 11 and 12. And then sign off, verse 13. So here's why I'm calling it the finish line. The Psalter is actually five, the whole book of Psalms, 150 Psalms, is actually five volumes rolled into one, okay? And so here's how the books break out. And if you've got a copy of uh, the Psalms in front of you, you will notice what's right above Psalm 42. Book 2, okay? And so if you think about old um, animal skin, vellum, Rolls, it makes sense why the Psalter, as big as it is, would be in five volumes. Nobody's going to carry, you know, a small pocket edition. There's no such thing as a pocket edition, right? The animal skin's pretty thick, and so it takes you, you have to roll these up in rolls. But this is how the books break down. So uh, books, book one is chapter Psalm 1 through 41. This is why I'm calling it sign off, because this is the last psalm in book one, okay? Then book two is Psalm 42 through 72, Book 3 is 73 through 89. Book 4 is 90 through 106. And then book 5, the last volume in the Psalter, is 107 to 150. So in one sense, each bundle of psalms, talking about the books, each bundle of psalms begins somewhere and ends somewhere. You think about the first, the beginning psalm in that book starts out a theme, and then by the time you get to the last book of that psalm, you start looking to see what ties what, what theme seems to be running through that particular book, for example, or what set of themes. It kind of helps that way. And then, Psalm 1 is the introduction. Uh, well, Psalm 1 and Psalm 150 are actually serving double duty. Psalm 1 is the beginning not only of book 1, but it's also the beginning of all the Psalms. And then Psalm 50 is not only the conclusion of book 5, but it's the conclusion of the whole Psalter. So they, those two perform double duty, if that makes any sense to you. Okay? So it helps to keep that in mind. So let's talk about singled out. Look at verses 1 through 3. Just like Psalm 1. How does Psalm 1 begin? Anybody remember? A man who walks not in the counsel of God and stands in the path of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful. Blessed is the man. Notice we're right back around to the blessed man. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. And then it goes from there and how the Lord sustains him. So we're right back to blessed again, to the blessed person um, like we started out in Psalm 1. And so notice, what does the blessed person do? What is it? It's really interesting. The very first thing, just like Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the council. So the blessedness is shown, if you want to call it that, is shown in their actions. What is the action of this blessed person in Psalm 41. Yeah, he considers the poor. Okay? 
And that word considers in the Hebrew is not a drive-by word, you know, where you just glance and say, oh, there's somebody poor, right? I mean, we were driving under the, the turnpike bridge coming this morning, and we're looking around, and you see the debris around and the shopping carts and the tent and everything, and I go, well, I know he's here somewhere, and Anna just looks up, she goes, he's under the bridge. And we drove right on by, right? That was not considering, that was just recognizing. So consider is not just recognizing you drive on by, but it's a sense of, in fact, the Hebrew word is very clear. It's a sense of reflection, pondering, a thought-outness, a thought-out thoughtfulness is how I put it, okay? Considers, actually takes thought about the poor. So it's not a, like I said, it's not a drive-by thing. It's actually reflecting on them. So like Brian Fickert and uh, Kelly Capick wrote a book on uh, becoming whole. And the whole book, and all of our deacons and elders read it a few years back, is how do you actually, how do you, in the gospel and in a way that doesn't hurt, how do you help out those who are poor? And so the whole book is a consideration of the poor. What does that actually mean? And what do you, what do you draw, what do you drive to? And Brian Fickert earlier wrote a book called When Helping Hurts. Right? It's a really important book because a lot of our helping does hurt because it's really just throwing money at people and then walking away, and they take that money and go do destructive things, right? And so that's what, that's the consideration of the poor. So he considers the poor, okay? But I want you to notice that the word poor is not the way we would normally think of it. It's just not the, the normal way we think of poor. It's the idea of helpless, reduced, or weak. In fact, it is a totally different word from Psalm 40, verse 17, Look back at Psalm 40, verse 17, when David himself says, I am poor. Here he's talking about, uh, it can be in a sense of the financial, I am poor and needy. And then in chapter 41, verse 1, he uses a different word, Hebrew word, blessed is the, is the one who considers the poor, the weak, the helpless, the reduced. Um, and I think it's important to recognize, and it's interesting that David had just said in Psalm 40, I am poor and needy, and now he turns and says, and blessed is the one who considers people who are in states like this, you know, conditions like this, okay? And so verse, chapter 40, verse 17 seems to give some muscle to David's uh, empathy that's promoted in Psalm 41.1. Anybody have any questions at this point? No. Okay. Everybody awake? No. Thank you, John. I appreciate your honesty. And so then, but who, pray tell, is the main actor in verses 1 through 3? It begins with blessed is the one who considers the poor, but who is the main actor as you look at verses 1 through 3? Let me read it again. Blessed is the one who considers the poor in the day of trouble. Yahweh delivers him. Yahweh protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. Yahweh sustains him on his sickbed and in his illness you restore him to full health. Who's the main actor? Yeah, the Lord, right? Okay, and that's how the Psalms work. Here's a real situation, but here's the main actor. keeps coming back to who the main actor is, and it's really the Lord. So what are the characteristic actions that are recounted here of the Lord? As you look at verses 1 through 3, what, are, what is that list? What does He do? 
Okay, come on, come on. Sustains. I'm sorry. Restores. What else? Blesses. Huh? Yeah, does not give him up to the will of his enemies. Okay? So there's a uh, preservative aspect in that regard. What else? Have we hit them all? Yeah, keeps him alive. Heals him when he's sick. Okay? So when does does the Lord exhibit these actions? I'm going to hide this, okay? Because I gave you the answer. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. When does the Lord exhibit those actions? Look at verses 1 through 3. And when does the Lord exhibit these actions? In the day of trouble? Yeah, when he's on his sickbed? There's a a middle one in here. Yeah, when he's attacked by his enemies. I mean, who doesn't need to hear that? When does the Lord exhibit these actions? Are you in a day of trouble? Have you been in a day of trouble? You can have confidence in Him, right? Have you been attacked by your enemies when your enemies are gunning for you? You can trust in Him, right? And when you're on your sickbed, when you're ill. I mean, it's like almost an all-encompassing set of seasons when you can see the Lord working. Does that make sense? Okay. So notice that David is singled out with God's faithfulness. That's why I put it this way, because... That's how he's, he's referring to it. This is how I've experienced it. He, um, and he's declaring it. Blessed is one who considers the poor in the day of trouble. Yahweh delivers him. And he's referring, he is referring to himself as king. He's referring to how the Lord has delivered him and rescued him. And there's a hopefulness in all of this. He's been singled out. And then, remember, there's different layers of this, right? So not only is it the king, but it's the king's people. And then in some way, and you'll see this very clearly when we get down to about verse... Um, Verse 9, I believe it is, very clearly there's also the greater son of David that you'll see as part of the layer here. So any questions or anything about verses 1 through 3? Will I get a drink of water? Yes. And that's what I was saying earlier when I said that chapter 40, verse 17, I've been in this shoot, these shoes, and then he says in chapter 41, verse 1, blessed is the man who considers that 40.17 gives muscle to the empathy that's displayed there. So yeah. Yes? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Can you think of a story in the Old Testament where there was uh, someone who actually had more and he considered the poor and it becomes its own book? No. Okay. So the, the one who actually has and is considering the poor is called the kinsman redeemer. 
Yeah, Ruth, the book of Ruth, Boaz. He considers the poor, right? And so he does exactly what God said, which was don't take all the grain, actually leave around the corner so they can work and they can gather as well. And then he actually gives her more just out of the goodness of his heart because he knows her situation. He actually knows her, right? I mean, he knows about her. That's very important too. It's one thing to throw money at somebody that you don't know. So you've not really considered them, right? And then to actually care for someone whom you do know. Because then you have considered them and you realize, oh, if we do this, that might actually hurt them. But if we do it this way, that actually gives them a chance to retain, retain their dignity and they, you know, that kind of thing, right? So that's the idea of considering the poor. It's not just a mindless, aimless, just throw it out there. Okay, there is a, there is a sense of actually knowing them. So, for example, here, one of the things we've tried to do, so we've actually limited how much we give out when we have people knock on the door. We have them pretty regular. Uh, actually, I'm getting to know some of them, oddly enough, because they come all the time, right? The same ones. I've got a whole book back here with, their, with a uh, diary of every time we help them, but we've limited how many times we give them gas cards or bronze cards when you go to the grocery store at bronze we only do it twice a year we tell them we're only going to do this no more than twice a year it's not huge it's 25 dollars but we'll we then invite them to church and we offer to pray for them and almost always they are glad to have us pray for them but you'll i've never seen them come to church except when it's most inconvenient just to get more money but that's beside the point right but we ask them and we get into their business as much as they will allow us in there. A lot of them are very closed, but we try, right? And then um, only a couple of them have I actually had um, come and after I got done praying for them, they prayed for us. That's always amazing when that happens. There's a few of them that are very legitimate. I mean, extremely legitimate. We had one woman one time come who was needing some help. She'd come from another town. But she was dressed to the nine. She was dressed to go get a job. I mean, you, she looked clean. I mean, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but I mean, she is taking care of herself. And so we gave her a card. She comes back about, when we prayed for her and all that, she comes back about three months later. And she says, this is what's happened at work. And it starts to sound like the same story we've heard before. But then she says, I'm not asking for any money. I'm asking you to pray for me. I feel like it's demonic oppression or something like that. And so Wes and I were just startled that she was coming to ask for prayer. We were considering her. Here was her need. She let us know the way she let us know. We prayed for her. And I think she went back to her hometown and she finally realized she needed to go back. to. But that's an idea of considering the poor. You're not just throwing things out there mindlessly. You're actually getting engaged with them and finding out more about them and how you really can help them if they want help. Some people don't want help. They just want, you know, they just want you to give them money so they can continue their addiction and self-destruction. Others really do want your help. Right? So that's the idea of consider the poor. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Well, I think it's what Fred was saying earlier about covenant blessings and curses, right? So God has said, you know, here's the blessing that comes as you walk with me. Here are the curses that come if you walk away from me, right? So there's some of that. It's not you make... Because the problem with bad theology you're talking about 
it's done for the purpose of holding God, uh, um, kidnapping God, or holding him hostage, right? So our attitude is more like Jonathan when he says, well, maybe the Lord will help us, maybe he won't, it doesn't matter. We're going to go do this, and then it's all to him, right? And so we do the things because they're right, not to get more from God. And then, then you have these things come along. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's a great call. All right, let's move on. You ready to move on? And so then, um, we're going to do all this. And so then, spoken against, chapter, uh, verses 4 through 10. This section looks like, I'm going to call it a prayer vice, because verse 4 and verse 10 are talking about the same thing, and they surround verses 4 through 10. Uh, the two pressure plates of the vice that are gripping together verses 5 to 9 and keeping them from getting loose. And so look at verse 4 and 10 and notice how they relate to each other. So what's the prayer in verse 4? Now be gracious to me, heal me, for I have sinned against you. In verse 10. Yeah, be gracious to me. There it is again. And raise me up. That goes along with the heal me. And that I may repay them. Right. So that there's a response to what's going on there. So I'm calling that the kind of a prayer vice, verse 4 through 10. Anybody ever use vices? Yeah, yeah. So you know how that keeps that stuff from squirreling away and says what's going on here. So notice that God's reliable goodness in verses 1 through 3 gives David the liberty to do what when you get to verse 4? God's reliable goodness in verses 1 through 3 gives David the liberty to do what in verse 4? He cries out to be healed. Yes, he confesses his sin. God's reliable goodness in this trouble, God's reliable goodness gives him liberty to confess his sin. He realizes that he's got a part of the, he's part of the problem. So the problem he's going to lay out, he still has a part of the problem. For I've sinned against you. He doesn't tell you what it is, right? But he does have the liberty to actually say that. Here's how Derek Kidner puts it as he's looking at verses 4 through 10. This is a great statement. I'm going to quote this again at the, towards the end. David's position is all the weaker for his, load, his bad conscience, for I have sinned against you. David's position is all the weaker before his bad conscience, but he will get more mercy, verse 4 and 10, from God, whom he has wronged, than from the friend he has helped. He'll get more mercy from the God whom he's wronged than he will get from the friend he has helped. Keep that thought in your mind as you look through verses 4 through 10 because you know that the person that's actually speaking, at least one of the people or part of the group that, he, that are actually out against David are his friends. Some of his friends, right? You get down to verse 9. Even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate bread has lifted his heel against me. But is the Lord lifting His heel against David? No, he's, uh, he's, His mercy is abounding. I think this is a great statement. He's going to get more mercy from the God whom He has wronged than from the friend he is, that, that He has helped. And so uh, David recounts what his frenemies, <laughs> what his frenemies have done and are doing. Notice, as you go through the list, notice what they've done. What are the things they do? They, do? they speak malice. Oh, when will he die? Can't wait to get rid of him. There's empty words. Their heart gathers iniquity. They tell abroad, whatever's going on with David, they tell abroad, they're willing to gossip it about. 
They whisper together against me. They imagine the worst about me. Verse 7. They say, if you look down to verse 8, they say things about him. Um, what, do, what do they say? Yeah, a daily thing is poured out on him. He will not arise again from where he lies. And then the friend even lifts his heel against me. So I'm calling them frenemies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it looks like that's exactly right. It looks like that they're like Job's friends. Great suffering, you must be a great sinner. Right? So they've come back around to that. Yes, Fred. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. Right. And there's a sense of desire. They want they want his demise, right? With friends like that who needs enemies. That's what that's what you were referring to. Yeah. And it's interesting that um, they want the worst for him. They even they even imagine the worst. Verse seven, they imagine the worst of me. Right? So they actually think the worst of me and they spread that about. Okay? I mean, if you look for evil, you will find it. If you look for evil in people, guess what you're going to find? Evil. Right? So Proverbs talks about that. The one who actually searches for good finds favor. The one who looks for evil will find it. Okay? And that's exactly what they're doing. Very good. So what is the engulfing sense here? As you, we've already started kind of adapt, uh, touching on it, but what's the engulfing sense as you read... The actions of the frenemies. What's one of the major traits that keeps coming out? There's other things, a few other things, one-offs here and there, but there's one overarching set of traits. Yeah, it doesn't have a support structure. Yeah, what's the only one he can rely on? But think about the frenemies. Utter. Yep. And they whisper together. And yes. And so it's interesting how, again, with David, that's extremely important. He keeps coming back to our speech, right? And the speech of these. And how much? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Ecclesiastes, the preacher in Ecclesiastes says, don't take to heart everything that someone says because you might hear your servant cursing you and your heart knows you've cursed a lot of other people, right? It's a great statement. It's chapter 7, 22 and 23. All right, so verse 9. Think about verse 9 and then John 13, 18. There's a, there is... If you should, I mean, if you come and think, wow, this sounds a lot like Jesus in some ways and what He went through, then you're on a good, you're on a good path. Because in John 13, verse 18, let's go there, just hold this, and we'll go to John 13, 18. And so he's washed, uh, he's washed the disciples' feet. Um... And he's reminding them that uh, the way he gets treated is the way they're going to get treated. 
Um, and then he says, uh, in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. And here it is. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it takes does take place, you may believe that I am he. And truly, truly I say to you, whoever receives the one who receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. But notice he quotes this passage. Whoever ate my, the one who has eaten my bread has lifted his heel against me. By the way, just as a reminder, because I've actually had people ask me this, Judas did have communion. He was there at the Last Supper. I was reading, uh, does anybody know who Dorothy L. Sayers was? Yeah, she wrote a, a series of plays called uh, um, the, um, uh, the Man Born to Be King. I just got done reading the book, uh, an annotated copy of that. It was really interesting. But she does, like a lot of people I've run across do, she doesn't leave Judas in the upper room when communion is given. And I find that really, I mean, that's sad. But here it is. Here's Judas. He's even, he was there at the very first. He, was, he actually received that. He was there at the institution of the Lord's Supper. He was there. He received bread from Jesus' hand. And he, that same hand, so to speak, he turns Jesus over to the to the, the, the leaders, right, to be crucified. And so if you're seeing Jesus in Psalm 41, you're, you're, you're in a good place. And so we've already dealt with this one. What is the major vice in Psalm 41, 5-8? And think about our Lord. How often was talk used against the Lord? You remember the Herodians and the Pharisees? They sought for things to accuse Him of, right? And they... And then even at the cross, how often they spoke against him and taunted him. And then at the kangaroo trial, they had false witnesses. And so, yeah. Anybody else on those verses? So, I mentioned this book last week uh, that the Cason's had given us for a Christmas present a few years back by Tim Keller and Kathy Keller had some part in it. His wife called The Songs of Jesus. And as uh, Keller was reading, was talking about those verses, I thought this was worth, worthwhile. Regarding verses 5-8 through eight and the slanderous speech against David, quote, People come to see David in his sickness only to spread news that puts him in the worst possible light, verse 6. His opponents impute the worst motives to everything he does, verse 7. Gossip is not necessarily spreading untruths. It is revealing information that should be kept confidential. Think of Proverbs 11, 13, and 20, 19, where it says, you know, the fool spreads secrets that he's not supposed to, and so forth. It is giving news about a person intended to lower him or her in the regard of the listener. Gossip can do its work with tones of voice or roll of the eye. While we may think of gossip as a harmless diversion, the New Testament lists it along with envy, murder, strife, and hating. Romans 1, 28 and 30. And I was reading that to Wes the other day. So I'm going to put this in the slides as we do Psalm 41. I was reading that when I got to that last part, when Keller points out that gossip is also listed along with envy, murder, strife, and hating. He goes on to say, yeah, and in the context of Romans 1, it's on the same equal footing with homosexuality. Because that's how the whole chapter begins, right? Starting at verse 18, right? And so, I think that's a, that's a, uh, it's a convicting word from Tim Keller. 
So let's go to verse 11 and 12, stood by. So what does David know, verse 11? Yeah, isn't that interesting? Because I know that you delight in me. What a great line. My enemy will not shout and triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. You delight in me. How would David know that he delights in him? Huh? Yeah, he told him. He's seen God at work, right? Have, have you all seen God at work in your lives? Can you say, this I know, that He delights in me? I mean, if nothing else, how do you know? You look at the cross. I mean, God demonstrated His own love for us. His delight in us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's a, that's a, powerful, that's a powerful statement. Because who doesn't get gloomy on occasion? Right? Who doesn't get down in the valley of the blues? The blues valley with the blues brothers. Sorry, I've just dated myself again. Right? Who doesn't get down there? And then you start talking to yourself and, oh, God doesn't care. God doesn't want, you know, and woe is me, woe is me. What a great statement to come back to. No, no, this I know. No matter how I feel, this I know. That you delight in me. How do I know? It's signed, sealed, and delivered in the blood of Christ. Right? Oh, there you go. I preempted myself. Is this true of you? How do you know? Yes. So because of this gospel promise, what is David certain will not happen? As you look at verse 11. Yeah. And again, as you think about Jesus, it sounds like they're shouting in triumph at the cross when He dies, but then three days later, where's their shout of triumph? They're telling the cops to lie about the story, right? The guard that was set. They're, they're pretty, pretty, may not be frightened, but they're definitely not shouting in triumph, right? Yes? Yeah, yeah. And that's always a good reminder is that we don't know the whole story. We don't know where God is going with all of this. I mean, I think about King Manasseh, horrible king of Judah. I mean, the worst ever. And it's because of Manasseh's actions that Judah will be taken into captivity. And yet, and I'm sure there were people praying for his quick demise. And yet, he's converted. He actually gets taken captive for a season by the Assyrians and is converted while he's in captivity, he comes back and he tries to undo what he had done. Of course, he fails at it in that sense. So there's usually more to the story, people's stories, than we have in mind. And so that's where we end up praying those things, but then we trust the Lord. Good point. Okay. 
So two more things Yahweh is reported to have done. What are those two other things Yahweh is reported to have done or is doing? Verse 12. Yeah. You've upheld me because of my integrity. You've set me in your presence forever. Okay? Sir? Yeah, that's what Brandon was talking about earlier was that he's not saying he's sinless, but in this situation, whatever the situation was, his integrity is, is solid, right? And so you have to think of it in each context. Like when he talks about my righteousness, you know, I, I didn't do the things they accused me of. Now, did I sin? I sinned, but I didn't do those things I'm being accused of, you know. You have to think of it that way, yeah. Well, and there's that aspect, right? Isn't that part of integrity? Because you actually own up to your failings, you know? Nobody has to drag you kicking and screaming to confess your sins. I remember we had a, I won't mention where it was at and any of those things, but we had a campus minister who was committing adultery and he was uh, pilfering money from the campus ministry and this and that. And it was his wife who caught him. And then he comes to Presbytery boohooing and weeping and crying because he was caught. There was not much integrity and that actually showed itself not long after when he just cut chase and ran and ended up down in Kerrville and wherever else he went from there. But it's that, that showed there was no integrity there. The integrity is then when you actually have you know, somebody's even sin, even owning their sin. Say, no, no, you're right, I did wrong. Would you forgive me? I mean, there's integrity in that. And so does that... Yeah, that's a great discussion. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because one of the Psalms earlier, David talks about, I even went to them while they were on their sick bed and I pled for them and prayed for them like this was my only child dying or whatever, you know, so there's that aspect. But I think also, I mean, that's, and I think that's the proper way to go, but I think there's also what Randy was talking about earlier. There's just some people you will never pacify. You will never, ever persuade them and they will always look for the worst and expect the worst, talk about the worst. And it just happens. And Yeah. So there's where, uh, keep in mind, verse 12 is because of my, uh, because my integrity is from a man who knows his faults. I was going to go there anyway, so I'm glad you brought it up. But he says that back up in verse 4. Right? Alright, any more on uh, verse 11 and 12? Alright, verse 13. 
Verse 13. It's sort of part of the psalm and it's sort of not part of the psalm. But blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. This type of anthem of praise shows up at the end of each of the five books. Remember, the Psalter is in five books. And so it shows up at the end of each of the five books of the Psalms. So you've got at the end of uh, book two, you have Psalm 72, 18 through 19. Now blessed be the Lord our God, the God of Israel. Anyways, that's that part of that blessing uh, conclusion to the book. And then the same thing when you get to Psalm 89, five, uh, 52, which is the end of book three. And then the end of book four, it's Psalm 106, 48. And then all of Psalm 150 is like this grand crescendo of, of this verse, if you will. You know, praise the Lord with everything you got, right? So I just want to point that out to you that the anthem is actually, uh, is actually a sign-off for the whole, this first book of the Psalms, okay? But it still actually kind of fits. And so Psalm 41.13 takes our minds back to Psalm 1, right? So here you're blessing the Lord. Well, you go back to Psalm 1. Who's blessed in Psalm 1 again? Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And so by the time you get to the end of Psalm 41, you realize that this person talked about in Psalm 1 didn't do this in their own strength. They did that not walking in the counsel of the ungodly or standing in the path of sinners or sitting in the seat of the scornful and being fruitful, multiplying like a tree planted by the rivers of water. They did all that because of the Lord. Right? All the way from Psalm 1 to Psalm 41. You can't miss it. It keeps coming back around and around. So very fitting. You start with blessed is man and you end book 1 with blessed is the Lord. Right? Because that's where it all comes from. And there's the sign-off. So how does Psalm 41 lift your heart? Fred? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yep. Yeah, reminds us of God's faithfulness to His people. Yeah. 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 Pretty good. I think that line in verse 11 is really encouraging. This I know, that you you delight in me. This I know, you delight in me. Okay? Alright, so... You don't need to answer this in class, but does this psalm correct you in some way? I'm just going to ask a question. You don't need to answer it. Okay? But does this psalm correct you in some way? Some aspect, some perspective you've had, uh, something maybe you were doing, does it correct you in some way? So I'm just asking the question, and I hope you'll walk away and think about it. To end with great hopefulness before we enter worship, I want you to recall Derek Kidner's comment that I mentioned earlier. David's position is all the weaker for his bad conscience, but he will get more mercy from God whom he has wronged than from the friend he has helped. I think that's a good way to end Psalm 41. I do want to do one other thing. This happened just yesterday. 
I want to talk to you about Oz Guinness for a moment. Anybody know who Oz Guinness is? Yes, if you, do you, anybody like to drink Guinness beer? That's his family, by the way. He spoke of my doctoral when I was receiving my doctorate, and he, he made sure to mention that right up front. My family does the Guinness beer. So everybody's in love with him at that point, right? But he just put out a book, and asked, uh, IVP has asked me to review it. It's called Signals of Transcendence. And it was really interesting as I was reading the book, I had forgotten. Does anybody know uh, where Oz Guinness grew up and when he grew up? Huh? He grew up in China. He was a son of missionaries. And so he grew up in China as the Japanese were taking over the country or attacking the country. He grew up in the midst of, he says, he talks about, and he's mentioned this before, when food was scarce, there was no food for anyone. And remember, there's millions of people in China. And food is light and very, very rare, uh, very rarely is there food. He's being hunted down. They're being hunted down. He's 10 years old. He's on the run for his life, right, with his family. And he's running with his family. Uh, and then when Chiang Kai-shek ends up, you know, all the, Mao, the, the cultural revolution, all the, all the stuff that went with that, um, with Mao's deal, he was there through all of that and, had, and finally was, was, was able to get out. And he tells a horrendous story without getting into too many details, but then he ends with this, this that part of the story. Thinking about Psalm 41. My friend, my parents' faith was no leap in the dark. It was a rational, warranted faith, the outcome of their own search and conviction. It went beyond reason because... They were uh, because they were more than reason, but it was never against reason. He's talking about the fact that his family never lost faith, even though they didn't have food and the kids didn't have food and all that. Um, it was a it was a it was a rational and warranted faith. The outcome of their own search and conviction. It went beyond reason because they were more than reason, but it was never against reason. Their faith gave them rock solid grounds for trusting in the ultimate goodness of life and existence, despite the horror. And sorrow of immediate situation of the immediate situation, the final reality behind the universe is God, who is love and who has a great heart for humans, whom He has created in His own image. If God is for us, then fate, chance, necessity, entropy, war, famine, heartlessness, and death do not have the last word on life. As Lincoln concluded in the horror of the carnage of the American Civil War, the will of God prevails. What a great statement. And I thought, what a good way to end the first book of the Psalms. Okay, let's pray. Well, God, thank you so much for the reminder that even when our enemies are looking for things to hate us about and despise us when they whisper together, imagining the worst, spreading false rumors, you are the God who delights in us. This we know, that you delight in us. We know that because of your Son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that our hearts through this study have been lifted up, have been strengthened and fortified. I would ask you, Father, that you would draw us close to you this very day as we enter into the sanctuary to worship you and to draw close to you, to gather around your feet like so many little children and grandchildren around their grandparents' feet. We come around to be close to the God who does delight in us. We pray that you would speak to us, that you, you would warm our hearts through word and sacraments and in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.